When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 208 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network, and also Fanatics. Joining us again is the is the fourth wheel, as we always call him. Phil Haywood's there, ready to, ready to jump in with his pearls of wisdom about the uh, performance against Manchester City. Um, but one was was there, Lee, Lee um, was with the Throne Sandwich Brigade yesterday, went behind enemy lines uh, with all the all the big boys at Man City and, and had, a, had a great a great vantage point for the game on, on halfway. Um so Leah, we'll come to you first. What's your what's your take home from the game yesterday? Obviously, Everton have earned a lot of plaudits from especially sort of local journalists and obviously Everton fans for how resolute we were um in terms of keeping Man City pretty quiet really until that until that first goal. Watching it live, did you could you see the organization? Could you see how how well we were doing defensively there, and and we were impressed by it. Well, one thing I wasn't impressed by before I touched on the game was the atmosphere. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, absolutely one of the worst grounds I've ever been to for atmosphere. And I don't say that lightly either. I mean, I know it has a bit of a ref, but for the first time I've been to that ground for a few years. The last time I was there, actually, was when um, Bainesy and Cahill scored. Do you remember that? When was that? Was that about 10 years ago? <laughs> More than that. 2010, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2000, was it December, was it December, yeah. December, Freezing December, cold it was that night. Yeah. Freezing cold, yeah. I thought you were there for when they unveiled the um, the B of the bang um, when it was the Commonwealth Games stadium. I thought you, you were part of that that contingent, but it obviously got me no, worse. Not quite. <laughs> not quite, mate. Not quite. Um, but, you know, that, that was back in the day when, before City obviously started, you know, became this absolute juggernaut that they'd become. Um, where their where their bench is worth more than all of our team put together. Well, in fact, I think wasn't it Grealish is worth more than all of our team put together on the pitch yesterday, which is yeah, absolutely yeah. embarrassing. But you know, we're the ones obviously you know abusing financial fair play and all that. But um, anyway, back to the game. The atmosphere was dreadful. Um, you know, when your stadium announcer is starting chants as well. By the way, that's when you know you've got problems. So I hope to God that doesn't end up at Bramley Moor. Um, but yeah, that was quite comical. Uh, and there are some other things that I can't really say on air here. Some of the chants were absolutely hilarious. But going back to the game, you touched on it there, Mike. I thought Everton for 70 minutes 
um, without being spectacular going forward, far from it really, they were absolutely brilliant defensively. Brilliant. I mean, not many teams. In fact, I'd love to know the stat of how many teams have prevented City from having a shot on target for 70 minutes because, you know, we didn't even look really that much in trouble. Doku was causing a little bit down there, our right, their left. But other than that, we contained them brilliantly. The shape, the discipline, you could see the players, the work they were putting in off the ball. And, um, you know, overall, Haaland, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously got his two goals, but you know, until that point, we kept him really quiet. But then the main difference is, and I'm sure you boys will agree and we'll touch on it, is, you know, when when you can call on the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva to come off the bench and then Grealish, you know, there's, there's probably, what, 250, 300 million quid's worth of talent there, isn't there, between those three? Um, and that was that. That to me, in the end, was 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 the was the biggest difference between the two sides. In the end, obviously, look, we know how brilliant City are, and we didn't even look really much of a goal threat whatsoever. That's one thing that Dyche picked up on, saying, look, you know, we, that's where we need to improve, and we all know that. But the big difference there is the fact they could call on someone like De Bruyne who came on, and for me, you know, changed the game in a way. You know, the way he drifts into into spaces in between the lines, and the way he picks passes and. You know, overall, it was a result that, let's be honest, be honest, most was pretty much expected, didn't we, beforehand? Oh, it was certainly the, the general consensus, and, and I don't think any of us looked forward to, to going there and expected a great deal. And um, that's why, why, you know, I said after the City game um, at Goodison only a few weeks ago, you know, just after Christmas, wasn't it? That the, the difference in the gulf between the sides really is it, it's pretty embarrassing that in the same league it's like that, and that, that's what the league have allowed, and that's what drives me nuts in terms of the competitive nature of the Premier League. That just, just shouldn't be shouldn't be a thing. And when you've got one player on the bench who's worth more than than the players, the whole Everton side on the pitch, it's just it's just a farce, really, isn't it? Um, so I think for Everton to compete in the way we did. Um, and be so solid and and defensively resolute. I thought was it was a real a real positive. I think when you see City fan accounts slating the way we performed, the worst side that have been there, they how how entitled these fans and these these clubs are who who fight at, you know for the, the top sort of two or three positions never fails to amaze me. Given where City have come from, by the way, and, and where they were a few years ago. It, it, it's just incredible. He wants to go there. Like Klopp's the same at Liverpool. He wants sides to go there and lie on the floor and say, give me a little belly tickle there and score 12 while, while, we're, while we're at it. Everton can't go to Man City and, and do that and play open and expansive football and leave caps everywhere. Why would, why would we go and do that? You know, we do apologise for trying to nick a point, which is which is massively important. But hugely frustrating, I think, when you see things like that and you and you, you see the, the entitled nature of some sets of fans and, and some people at the top of those clubs as well. Um, but Phil, it was you know from a, a defensive perspective, you know those those first 70, 71 minutes to, to restrict Man City to, to no shots on target until that first goal. It was incredible, really, wasn't it? Given you know the fact that the, the quality they've got on the on the pitch, whether it be Haaland, obviously Phil Foden, <coughs> Alvarez, Nunes, they've got some some you know really talented attacking players with a lot of money on board for a lot of money. So to keep them quiet and, and nullify them for for that. At the time was 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 impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, I I was surprised at Pep Guardiola to be honest, because he knew what he was coming up against. Um, he, he kind of in his press conference kind of obviously praises how Sean Dice sets up anyway. We've got 
best defensive record regarding clean sheets. I was surprised at how laboured they were and how, how lazy he was with his approach to the game. Within like, obviously, no one can keep up with Kevin De Bruyne. For me, it was more like go and get two or three up, then rest them for half an hour rather than the other way around. Like they were we frustrated them in the fact that the passing was slow. Um, obviously, didn't go uh, to the game yesterday. I went the, the previous year with the Mari Gray scored, and again, it was exactly the same setup. Um, he's obviously thought we'll get one, and you know Everton. You know, won't come back at us uh, this year because they're a lot stronger. But I just watched off the ball. Um, what frustrated me is I thought we defended so well as a, as a unit and as a shape. But what I found was interesting when we got when we got it down the line, whether it was Godfrey down the line in the channels to Carver Lewin, who you could have got a couple of fouls there, which which was ignored, and then eventually got one. Um, off the ball, Jack Harrison would always go to Rodri, and then Garner Gay would quickly. Be there to, to you know to try and pick the bits up, and they were getting so frustrated because they couldn't play through us by getting a two Rodri. Um, but no, I, I was really I wasn't surprised by us and how we were. Um, I knew we'd be set up like that. Obviously, the stats show that defensively we are very very strong, and maybe we could win the game or get something on a set piece because obviously we we're strong in that area as well. But um, I was more, you know, what did the, like you said, my what did Guardiola expect? It was more his his tactics, I thought, was quite lazy from their point of view. Um, but on Everton, I just thought, I didn't know what team he would play. Would he would he give the likes of Schmitty a good half an hour, um, Dobbin a good 20 minutes? Or can he actually believe that he can get something there? And obviously when I'm saying that is, obviously I manage myself, and when you're not on the touchline, you always feel you can make a difference. Like, if I go to the game yesterday, I feel like my voice as a fan, could make a difference rather than watching it on the TV. So, obviously, he was in the stands. So, I was, I was quite su- surprised he went, you know, full throttle, really. Um, but then again, the fixture side, Luton were at home, Forrest had a home game, so maybe he thought he could he could get something. Yeah, that, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, j- just part on the defensive side of things for a minute, because we, we are going to come, come back to that. From an, an attacking, attacking perspective, we always want to see that a little bit more. And like, like Lee said earlier on, you know, the, the mind you alluded to, defensively terrific, you know, but from a threat perspective, we didn't offer a great deal at times. And, and we've seen it, Pete, haven't we, in, in, in the last the last few weeks, where in, in that transition from winning the ball back as a defensive side to then looking to attack, that transition at times is a little bit sloppy. And that kind of game against Man City where you need like to Dominic Calvert-Lewin to hold the ball up and bring players in. But you also need players to get around them because, you know, we were playing the ball down the, the channel sometimes and when he was getting to it, there was no one there. So he's then trying to hold the ball up with three or four players around him. But that's a side piece, isn't it? That yesterday, again, we were, we were poor and we've really got to try and... It's great being resolute, but we've got to try and turn defence into attack and be a bit more effective in terms of those positions. Yeah, we were a bit like two different teams, weren't we? I think, like Lee said, for 70 minutes, it was a just absolute defensive masterclass. Um, but whenever we got the ball back, we, yeah, we just really struggled to, to get up the pitch and be effective. And when you play Man City away, not not only do you need a large stroke of luck and, um, you know, for the officials not, not to be against you and not to make mistakes, but you need to be at your best as well. And it, it was quite frustrating, particularly in the first half, because... Um, like uh, Phil was saying, I thought Garner Gay was was outstanding again. He was just everywhere. Uh, you know the amount of tackles and interceptions he made, it really important points that set set us up to break. 
and we just didn't make the most of it. Um, I felt a bit for for Dom really. I thought he had a really really tough job uh, leading the line, but he, he seemed to struggle yesterday. Um, and maybe made a couple of poor decisions. That I think there were there were at least two in the first half. One where I think McNeil had made a, a run down his left hand side, and he just didn't get his head up to find the pass, um, and kind of went for some kind of cross come lob that you know just went to the, the the right of Edison and trickled away. And then I think there was another one where he, he struggled to find Harrison. Um, so you know it's it's one of them. I'm sure I'm sure the you know the team will work on it behind closed doors, but. It has been one of the defining stories of our season. You know, as good as we've been defensively, um, where we've been absolutely magnificent, we've really, really struggled to make the most of some, you know, some very good chances and very good attacking play. And it's just been a, a case of, you know, final ball or final pass that's, you know, probably kept us under a little bit of pressure. I do agree with you there, Pete. By the way, I thought, I thought Dom had a really tough job. Uh, you know, you're watching it live, you see the runs he's making off the ball and things like that. And, you know, we were trying to find him with, with, with what I would call like flip balls into the channels. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes going directly at him towards his head and he barely, barely had anyone around him. And it, it's a thankless task doing that against City. One thing about City is everyone loads them for the way they pass the ball and they do, they pass, you know, they pass you to death, to be honest. You know, if you watch that, at home every single week, whilst it's you know obviously fantastic footballers keeping ball in tight balls, the ball in tight spaces, you know scoring numerous goals, it, it, it is quite laborious to watch because most teams come there and literally sit off like we do and defend. Very few go there and try and compete head to head with them. So as a, as a home fan, it must be you know watching that every single week. You know no wonder the stadium's half asleep. Um, but going back to Dom, I I, I do think. Um, you know, they pressed the ball so well that every time he did get, he did make a few loose mistakes, like you said there, Pete, particularly not spotting McNeil when he was free, when he got it and he went for a dink, didn't he, and, uh, or a chip from the edge of the box. Um, but, you know, as like I said, City, City give you no time at all. One thing we did lack in there was, as it proved to be when he came on, someone who could just get their foot on the ball and demand it, and Onana, Onana when he came on. You know, you could see the little cameo, cameo he had. We needed that type of player, didn't we? He, he would just basically demand it, get on it, take the ball in tight spaces and then allow us to get a bit closer to Dom you know, rather than just trying to find him from, from you know, back to front, basically. Uh, or even a Gomez, you know, just someone who you know in, he will receive the ball under pressure and, and nine times out of ten keep it. And that's what we needed, someone to just, you know, get in between the lines and get the foot on it and then try and find Dom you know, with the odd through pass. You know, if you look at Onana, he did play a through ball, didn't he? Uh, after a nice bit of football, actually, from the corner, from their left corner, or our left corner side, we, we we actually played out from the back brilliantly. We broke the lines. And Onana played a lovely slide rule ball into better. We mistimed his run, basically. And then, obviously, he, he buried it, didn't he? He finished it. Um, and, you know, that would have been a brilliant goal, actually, because it was a lovely move. But that's what we needed more of, for me, just, just someone who could get the foot on it. He's just a presence, Lee, isn't he, Onana? Like, I felt sorry for Harrison as well, you know, because it, it's like running around chasing shadows and when the ball eventually does get to him, it either bounces off him and, and he's a little bit weak. And obviously when you're playing against people like Rodri and Stones and these big, you know, and every time we get it, it's a backwards pass or could to generate that possession again. But there's not enough bodies for me either. Like McNeil put one in or Mikhelenko put one in. 
And I think it went over dominant. He's the only one in the box, and that's where you do Mr. Corey and your own honours and you know the presence and the the athleticism from them. Because like Garner Gay, his legs and Ashley Young and Harrison's only slight. It's it and obviously dominant. He, feel, he must have at times it felt like we had nine players when we had the ball when we had when we had it. Um, but that wasn't for the, the, the you know try, and it was just be giving it away too easily for me. Yeah, totally, yeah. mate. And uh, sorry, Mike, totally. And, and and you know what says it all. And Mike alluded to it at the start. Start when he opened when he opened up the podcast is, you know, we've got a thirty-eight-year-old playing right mid, and we you know and we ended up bringing on a thirty-six-year-old at right back. You know, and then we look at our bench and we're bringing on you know two teenagers as well. You know, okay, the game was finished at that point, but the point still stands. You know, when you've got that much of a golf, even in the same league. I mean, I, I saw, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Uh, um, it was the one with Julia actually on BBC. I don't know whether you guys have heard it about the uh, the potential new PSR rulings that are coming into play in the summer, potentially anyway. And they did it. They did a rough stat on it, saying with Man City, if they bring these new rules in, where obviously um, what you can spend as a percentage of your turnover, you know, in terms of wages, um, I think it, what was it, seventy or eighty percent or something of your turnover could be spent on wages, or something similar to that. And they worked it out. Everton's turnover being roughly 200 million. City's being over 700 million, which is, as we all know, artificially inflated. And then if you work it out then in terms of what you can spend on players, it was roughly a 350 million pound a year difference between the two clubs. I mean, that is just, I mean, you know, over, over a three-year period, they can basically spend over a billion pounds more than us. You know what I mean? I mean, when you put it like that, it's just a case of, no wonder the two, you know, the two teams are miles apart. So how are these new rules supposed to make it a level playing field? Or, well, it, well, it's not, is it? If anything, it's potentially even making it harder. That, that's the thing, Lee, as well. And when you play, obviously, City away, it's how you get beat as well. And I think that's why everyone's quite proud of how the effort the lads put in. You know, it, you look today, the other West Ham Arsenal, it's, it's how you get beat in big games like that. And I think they can hold their heads up high. And obviously, it makes it. You know, obviously, never like your team losing, but with teams around us losing, it doesn't make it as bad if that makes sense. Because obviously, um, goal difference and things like that, and, and even momentum, you know, that won't that won't scar our season. That you know that that game yesterday, um, but it just it just shows you and gives you a bit of a in a strange way. You've lost the game, but you've kept the champions quiet for seventy minutes, um, and actually, you know, play quite well defensively as well. Um, so it's how you get beat. I always say in those games. And Mike, before yeah, you come I'm, in there, that's ten wins on the bounce in all comps for City. Tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? But it's what they do, isn't it? This is what they do with this time of the season as well. You know, the and they've probably gone a little bit earlier. You, you'd say in terms of picking up form, but now they're in this this uh, this headspace where you know they'll go on now and win probably ninety five percent of the games that they play. In the, for the remainder of the season, which is frightening, really, and and shows you, as I said earlier on, that the gulf between them and many many other sides. You know, whether it be in England or or across Europe. You know, the 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 best club side in the world, aren't they? Whether whether we like how it's it's come together and and why they are where they are, and you know, despite other clubs believing that they are the best side in the world, not too far from where we are today, um, Man City are. And Everton did did particularly well, and you know on another day, you know the first goal, it's well, was it a corner? Wasn't it a corner? You know, we, we can all say it wasn't. I think it's. I think it was difficult. I've got. And I'm. You know me. 
I'm not a fan of the officials and at all, but I think it's difficult in that situation. I think they've all gone they've gone at the same time, haven't they, Dom? Uh, and I think it's hit both of them, and it's it's difficult that it really is. So we can't really complain about stuff like that. Uh, but it ricochets in the box, couple of blocks, deflections. Branthwaite's unlucky. Tarkovsky's unlucky. What you do? Listen, it's a great finish from from the best striker in the Premier League and probably Europe's best striker. Pickford very unlucky. You know, we, he's absolutely pinged the, the shot at him. Gets a great a great arm to it, doesn't he? And it just goes in the top of the net. Um, but unlucky at that point because as the game's going on, there you're thinking, bloody hell, might make a point here. And, I, and how good would that have been? You know, given the fact that later on in the day, which obviously at the time we didn't know, loot and lose at home unexpectedly. Um, obviously, Sheffield United bottom of the table. Great win for them. Um, Forest get beat by Newcastle, which is great for us. Liverpool beat Burnley. Everything went went our way. So the weekend as a whole went fairly well, even with us losing the game, because we're expected to lose at Man City, whereas the likes of um, Luton expected to beat Sheffield United on a good run of form. Forest, you know, they, they were close against Newcastle and. He's not a full strength Newcastle side as well, so we easily could have got something in that game. So it went fairly well for us. But that second goal, Pete. <clears throat> so about Brantwaite. I thought Brantwaite was terrific, by the way. I thought to go up against Haaland, you know, the first time he's played against him was obviously at Goodison. Haaland wasn't fit to play, but I thought he was absolutely terrific once again. Him in and, and James Tarkovsky. But that, that second goal, he's got a little bit of grief for that because obviously it was a one-on-one. You know, he's gone down, hasn't he? And Haaland's gone through and put it, put it past Jordan Pickford. But by a little bit of naivety where he's probably just tried to nick in, there's been a tangle of legs as far as I'm concerned, which has then forced him to fall over. It was it was a tricky situation there for him. It's something that I think he'll he'll learn a lot from as well. Yeah, I, I don't think he, he can come under too much criticism for that that second goal, really. I think it was just unfortunate. You know, one, one minute people, I, I'm not specifically referring to Evertonians, but, you know, Branthwaite's come under a lot of focus, hasn't he, um, over the past few weeks, you know, being heavily linked with with Man United, with Chelsea, you know, a lot of eyes are on him. And it's the curse of the young player, isn't it? The, the moment a small mistake's made, you know, everybody kind of jumps on it. So, you know, hopefully this will be quickly forgotten. But I, I think as it's come through, look, it's, it's a 1v1. And it looks to me like he's just tried to show him on his, on his right foot, and then potentially get over to 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 make a block, and I think he's probably been a bit surprised by the aggression of Haaland because Haaland's just just walloped him. He's just gone into him with the shoulder, and for me, if that's if that's Beto at the other end of the pitch, they give a free kick. Like, I, I know there was no I know there was no protest, but I I think he's been surprised by how aggressive Haaland's been there because Haaland's just literally dumped him on the floor, shaped onto his left, and then he's got the easy finish. So. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think Branthwaite can come um, come under any scrutiny there because, you know, up until he's been barged over, he's done everything right. He's shown the striker on his on, on his right-hand side. He's looked to contain him. He's hoping his teammates will come back and make it difficult for him. That's all you can do as a centre-half in that situation, 1v1 against, you know, probably at this this moment in time over the past two years, the best striker in the world. So, I, you know, I think everybody needs to see it for what it was. Branthwaite had an outstanding game. You know, it, it, it's, it's a one-off moment. Don't think too much about it and just move on. Did, you, did any of you see the analysis of on Match of the Day, Martin Keown and Shearer? As, um, as soon as Martin Keown was announced as being on the show, I didn't put it on <laughs> because I can't, I can't bear the man. But anyway. Well, he said, he said Branthwaite got caught 
in in two. He, he he said what he should have done is he should have got either, he got he should have got tighter to Haaland, but he didn't. He backed off, and obviously Haaland uh, went away from Branthwaite to give himself space. The Bruyne is played in the channel in between both of them, and I think Branthwaite then tried to be as quick as he can to get back, and then he tried to make contact. And so he, I think he catches the back of Haaland's foot, it knocks him off balance. And like uh, Pete just said, he's he's barged him and he's he, you know he's fell over. But they were having a bit of laugh. Keon Shearer saying, you know that was Shearer. He, he said he gets nice and tight to him, don't it? Give him that uh, space. But obviously Branthwaite was confident, as Pete said, that the Bruyne has put onto his right foot, the, the angle of the ball. But he's so good on and powerful on both sides. He, I think like Pete said again, he he shocked him in the fact that he come back in. Knocked him off balance, and then it was a great, it was like a paintbrush finish, wasn't it? It was a nice finish, but yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think Branthwaite on the whole, if you look, someone put a highlight reel of his performance, and he was absolutely outstanding in that game. You know, and I know Guardiola picked John Stones off us, didn't he, when he first came into the Premier League? He obviously knows a player, and I would not be surprised whatsoever if he if he watched that performance yesterday from Branthwaite. Ignoring obviously the you know the Haaland incident, which let's be honest, he, you know he could do that to pretty much the best centre backs in the world, and I I think quietly Guardiola would have gone, yeah that kid can play. I had a few city uh, city mates of mine who were at the game who hadn't seen anything of Brampwaite, uh, and a couple of them who I'd say know their footy, they both said he was that lad at the back there. Yeah, you know I mean, and and he was he was so calm on the ball. Passing the ball out, you know, out of defence with left foot, right foot, he's, he's just as comfortably the side. And what one thing he did there um, when Harlan went through, he backed himself to stick with him pace wise. You know, what I mean, most most people there would get skinned by his pace completely. You know, and we saw the likes of, for example, Van der Ven last week, how quick he was. Bramfleet's not far off that at all. You know what I mean? And I think he backed himself to go right. I'm going to run with you here. And I think he was just a bit unfortunate. He said he just caught the back of his boot, didn't he? And that caused him to lose his balance. Otherwise, that would have been a really interesting tussle, that if they'd have gone to the box. Because Haaland, as we know, is, is not as good on his right foot. He would have probably then had to have taken it on, the right, on his right side if it wasn't for the stumble, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's the way he was going. So he did the right thing. Like you said, showing him onto his, effectively his weaker side. Uh, the stumble obviously allowed him to run round it onto his left foot and, and then obviously pass it in the net. But... Um, you know, up until then, you know, we in, after they'd scored, you know, we were having a bit of a spell without, again, being massively threatening. But we were starting to look like we were going to potentially, you know, come back into the game like we did last season and grab an equaliser, and that was a bit of a killer blow, really. The annoying thing is, is if you if you recall how that counter attack came about, the transition was was just some really sloppy play down the right, wasn't it? I think it was between was it Coleman and Garner, and then Harrison, I think, was involved as well. They all got mixed up between each other. And that you know you can't give the ball away there to City because instantly they find De Bruyne and then it then it's game over, isn't it? Do you know what Lee? Uh, he, he very rarely like, um, gets skinned, uh, Branthwaite. You know he, his positional sense for a young lad and his frame for the height of him. He's leggy, isn't he? You know he he, he very rarely get looks out of breath and puff like you say. He looked relaxed. He looked confident in his own ability. Come on, you come at me. He didn't look. I don't. I. I very rarely see him get skinned in a game, or certainly twice or three times in a game. I think his positional sense and his partnership, even with Mikalenko, I think that they're so good as a unit, and I think that's what's pleasing as well for him is, and his progression as well. Totally, mate. And they, 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 like you say, I mean, 
I think it was Henri that said one of the best defenders he played against in the Premier League was Jonathan Woodgate. It was actually massively underrated for me. Injuries prevented him from being a top top centre back. Uh, Woodgate. Um, the fact that Real Madrid signed him tells tells you you know what his ceiling could have been. But he the reason Henri said that he rated him so high is that he never went to ground. And I think you see a bit you see a bit of this with Bramfway. They tend to say the best defenders aren't the ones scrambling on the floor trying to make a last-ditch tackle, are they? Because the way they read the game and the way they back themselves, you know, in terms of, you know, pace and the ability to read read a player. Yeah, it, and he's also very cultured as a footballer, isn't he? You know, we've mentioned how comfortable he is on either side. You know, I think it was James Garner said he didn't know for the first couple of weeks of training with him what foot he was. That That's how good he is. So, He's going to have a lot of suitors come the summer, and I'm hopeful that we can keep hold of him. Obviously, I think I think Onana will go in the summer, uh, and he'll also have quite a few a few sides looking at him. Man City, you know, one of them potentially. Um, you know, you see you see when Onana comes on yesterday, what he's all about. When he's he's comfortable with the ball at his feet, he picks it up nice and deep. He was driving with the ball yesterday, which was what we we like to see him do. Those big long legs opening up and then bringing other players in. He's so comfortable on the ball at times; it looks easy. And that's why I think people do get frustrated when we, he, he doesn't do it week in, week out. But that's the kind of player that he, that he is and, and that, he, that, that he will become. So those you know those clubs that are in the Champions League will be looking at him. And no doubt he'll be on his way. But I'm hopeful we can keep Grantwaite. I think Grantwaite, he's only going to get better and better and better. And in you know another 12 months' time at Everton, he's, he's going to be you know twice the player he is yet again. And he's going to be worth a lot of money. And you know, football's a business, and 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 you sell players, of course, and you got to reinvest. But he he's looked at his development this season. I think has surprised a lot of people. We we all want them to come in and, and have a partnership with James Sarkovsky. Obviously, Yeri Mina had gone, and Connor Cody had gone, and we needed a partnership, a regular partnership. And by those first two games when Michael Keane played, once he brought brought uh, Brantford in. He has not out of place in in any game of the season. You know, made the odd mistake here and there. He's going soon. He's was he twenty one years of age. You know, he's this is his first proper full season of Premier League football after a good season with with PSV last year. So I think he's been fantastic. I, I think that rightly, you know, we get great reviews. Um, you know, deserves deserves a fee for the performance against City. He, he will learn a hell of a lot from that game, and and you know, it was just one of those situations that the Haaland second goal where. You know, it's just Haaland. We know he's big, he's strong. He's Brantwaite hasn't met many centre forwards who are as strong as he is. You know, we saw him put Antonio on his backside against West Ham, didn't we? In the the back end of last year, there's not many many centre forwards you can outmuscle Brantwaite anyway. But I think he was unlucky as well in terms of that little bit of a tangle. You say he clipped Haaland's foot, and and that was the end of that. Um, but am I right in has... saying, Mike? Um, just quickly. Well, Brantwaite, a big reason for this. Aren't we the, the team in the league that's conceded the least number of goals from open play? Yeah, so I think it was 15 before the game yesterday. So I think it's 17 now. So whether that's moved us, but we were before the, the start of the game yesterday. Yeah, It'll be 16, was it? It was a corner, wasn't it? Of course, it yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's whether, whether, they, whether they count that. I'm not sure what they're using uh, in determining open play. But either way, it's particularly impressive, you know, for, for Everton. It shows you how organised we are during normal play, doesn't it, really? You know, so take set pieces out of the equation. We're, we're so organised in what we do. And even at times when City were getting in yesterday, you mentioned Docu getting past Godfrey a couple of times and, you know, balls getting put across the box, across the floor. Brantwaite and Tarkovsky were always there. They were always there clearing the ball away. And that was particularly impressive. <laughs> um, so we can take a lot of things from 
from that game. Um, and we should do as well. You know, hats off to, to you know the manager was in the stand. Obviously, wasn't particularly happy. Um, he was watching from from high above, but he, he'll be back obviously for the Palace game on the on the sideline. Um, but it was it was a real solid showing. You know, we just need to, like we said earlier on, from an attacking perspective, always hard. You know, it's Man City, but those transitions from defence to attack have got to become that bit slicker, and we've got to have a little bit, a bit more composure. Uh, but by the time we come around to Palace, hopefully, you know, obviously Onana's come back in. Uh, the core is back on the grass. Sean Dyke loves that expression, back on the grass. So he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be too far away. Um, so we should be getting you know, a couple of a couple of players back back in there, which is which is massively important for us. Um, but I think all in all, I think we we sh- we should feel fairly positive. And as I say, it was a good day. It was a good weekend for us with the other sides in terms of what they've done or what they didn't do. You know, so we we've got to feel hopeful going forward. I think, but obviously the next game we are the the last game of the the next match day weekend, aren't we? Um, or the match week, should I say, with the Monday Night Football against Crystal Palace. And there's been a lot of talk about this already in terms of the importance. And we're going to discuss that after this short break. Welcome back to the second part of today's Unholy Trinity podcast as we look ahead to the visit of, of Crystal Palace. It seems to be about the 93rd time we played in this season. Uh, but they're going to be in town for Monday Night Football. Um, and like I said before the break, it's a game that I think when we looked at the, the number of fixtures that we had, obviously we've had the likes of Aston Villa, Tottenham, City twice, well, Tottenham twice, City twice in a short space of time. We were looking beyond that and thinking, okay, well, you know, games coming up, what what are what are winnable games and where should we be picking points up from? And this is one of those games, isn't it, where you think this is this is a real chance for us to to, to get three points on the board for the first time since Burnley, which which it seems a lifetime ago. Um, and a, pal- a Palace side, Pete, that looked to be without some real key players, you know, the likes of Elise, Eze, who, who Eze was terrific in the cup game, the replay goes to some part, and, and Hodgson took him off, which was just just bizarre. Um, and also uh, Gay as well at the back. So three three key players for Palace look like they could be missing. Obviously, you know, it doesn't mean anything, I suppose. But for us, we got to look that at look, look at that with you know real positive eyes and think if it's taken two of the, well they're two major threats out of that side, it's got to be a good sign for us, hasn't it? Well, I, I look at it with two sets of glasses really. I look at it with the the common sense glasses, which tells me it, it, you know it's uh, an infinitely winnable game. Like you say, there were our three really key players. The, the Palace fans have become a bit of a bear pit towards. Uh, Roy Hodgson at the moment, and he, he can't seem to to do right for doing wrong. It's all set up for I I think in Everton three points, but I also look at it through Everton tinted glasses. Where th- there's been bags of games like this throughout my, my lifetime of supporting Everton, where you think, yeah, home game should be dead winnable, routine, um, and then something else completely different happens. So I, I'm I'm not making any uh, any assumptions, but yeah, it's all set up, I think, for for Everton to, you know, put put the game in their own destiny. And, you know, if we perform like we have uh, against Man City, we should have no problems whatsoever. Um, but equally, yeah, like you say, Mike, you, you, you can't um, be too strong with your predictions bef- before a football match, especially when you support Everton, because we've been here before, haven't we? 
But how, how important is the game in your mind, Pete? You know, g- given obviously we haven't won for, for a little while and we've had a couple of, you know, morale boosting draws, so to speak, a decent performance at Man City, you know, all, all things considered. How much importance do you put on this game against Palace? Well, it'd be too, maybe it'd be too strong to call it a, a must win, but I think it would be a vital win because I think it would link Palace back in. To, you know, to the, the so-called, you know, rele- relegation scrap at a time where, you know, they're under an awful lot of pressure. It would be a really, really bad time for them to part company with with Roy Hodgson. I think that would be an absolutely fantastic outcome for uh, for Everton if it, if it gets there. Um, but, you know, we, we did beat them in, in the cup, didn't we? Um, and I, I thought they were re- I thought they were really poor in that game. I thought we looked a bit leggy, you know, and I, I don't read too much into um, you know the fact that we've we've not won since Burnley because I think the points we have picked up have generally come under really impressive performances. I mean, I mean the Spurs point, the fact that we we came down, uh, we came back twice against a team a team like Spurs and we played the way we did and we showed the resilience we did. You know how exceptional we were against Manchester City for seventy minutes. I thought we were dead unlucky against Fulham, and on another day, you know we could have had three or four goals in that game. So I don't read too too much into the um, you know the fact that we've not got three points on the table for a little while because I think we've been playing really well, and that's been the big problem I, I think in the past two or three seasons Everton have been so inconsistent, and when we haven't been winning generally we've been playing terribly, so I think the fact that you know we've been competitive a bit unlucky when we've had you know the injuries that that we have and we've had key players out of the squad you know we went without Garner Gay for a while Decore's been out and he's arguably you know probably our most important player um in, in an attacking sense I, I think it's far more positive at least in footballing terms on the pitch than you know maybe a lot of people make out I totally agree with that Peter I think that it can be misleading the way you look at these things some fans have been spouting We've only picked up three points out of a possible twenty-one. Well, you've got to look at it, look at it from a different angle. You've got to look at the bigger picture. Like you've just analysed those games there. You've had two games against City and two games against a good Spurs team in that time, and you know we've been unlucky, you know, arguably in 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 both Spurs games, if you're being honest. Um, and then we were beating City in the first game until a bit of bit of genius from Phil Foden, wasn't it? And then a, let's be honest, a debatable penalty. Uh, that swung, swung the game their way in the second half. So, one thing I would say about Everton, and I'd be interested to get your viewpoints on it, um, is it wasn't that long ago, was it? Let's be honest, lads, that we were going into games like City and teams like that, and we were scared of conceding five or six, weren't we? Genuinely, that was a genuine worry, wasn't it, as Everton fans, even at home or whatever, because we were, we were so disorganised and we were so, you know, a lot of us were harping on about, well, a lot of the time when the Moyes, at least we were competitive in the vast majority of games because we were solid. I say that ironically, I, I, you know, having, having seen Moyes' West Ham concede six at home today. But you know what I'm saying? The point still remains is that, you know, now under Dyche, one thing I will definitely think going into pretty much every game against any side is that we are, you know, providing we've got those, you know, our first choice defence on the pitch, we're going to be competitive in those games because... We are so solid defensively. Now, yes, we could be way better in transition. We could, you know, be way better with our final pass, and also way better, you know, in terms of being clinical in front of goal. 
but I'd much rather us be a lot more solid than we can work on the latter than than you know essentially like we said like I said before going into some matches where you would massively dread in some of these games. But now I feel like and and the same same was true yesterday. You know I feel we can get a result pretty much everywhere we go. Yeah, I think I think the manager is instilled a certain level of of uh, confidence and and competitiveness in, in a way. Um, I still think that when you go into places like City, you know, or City come to come to us, that there's just such a gulf that if you if you get a point, so almost it, it's deemed as a, as a bit of a miracle, especially when they're in full flow. You know, the start of the season, the first few weeks, maybe a couple of months, City are notoriously. You know, fairly slow off the mark, and you find themselves, you know, climbing the table as as the as the months go on. Um, but in that situation, you know, when they came to Goodison in December, and, and when we've gone there yesterday, you always feel you you massively, massively up up against it uh, when when these sort of hits sort of fifth gear, and they're now in Man City are in the mindset of you know all eyes are on the end of the season, all downhill, whether it be the league, the European Cup. You know the 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 well in in that that particular zone, but I, th- I think that what we've shown in in the games against Spurs, home and away, Villa Villa home, um, I think we've shown we can we can compete against the better sides and the sides that are pushing to be within you know those those top four spots. And you know in in recent history against Crystal Palace, you know we've gone there in the league and we've won away three two, we drew nil nil in the cup. We got them back to our place and beat them one nil. So recent history, Phil tells us that you know we can draw on that. We should go into the game with with quite a bit of confidence. Yeah, I, I think he's installed a real belief within, like 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 Lee said there. I think we're very organised at the back, and I think is what's the stat of the XG? Everton have had so many. We are, we we make so many opportunities and we are very wasteful in front of goal. But I never go to Goodison now and think, oh, what's the score going to be? Uh, on a negative way, how many goals are we going to concede? I always believe that we will create chances and get chances in games like this. I think if you talk about Crystal Palace, I think I think every fan walking into that ground will say, oh, they haven't got Eze, they haven't got Mark Gay, they haven't got Elise. I think we need to sidetrack from that and just do our job because, again, I've always said in the past, you know, Carvalhoon doesn't score or a Charleston doesn't score, who does? And I think obviously Andre Gomez got the goal in the cup. I think we just... There's a calmness in the ground. There's not a desperation of the fans anymore. I think the fans do see that, you know, what Dice has built and what Dice has created. And we do play some nice stuff going forward. Um, again, as Pete said, alluded to, Decore, I've, I've said it a few times on social media that he's undroppable. He's our most important uh, threat. Um, I, I personally do think it's a must win. I think we have to win it personally. Um regardless if we get any points back in uh, X, Y and Z. But I just feel with Luton's run of fixtures, they've got a really hard running. I think Brentford have got a really hard running. Again, you beat Palace, you suck them into it. Forest, I think, have got a, a difficult spell. I think this is a game, like you've just alluded to there, Mike, the, the last couple of games against Palace. It's a game that, you know, we should be looking to get three points. And I do believe if we didn't get a, a positive result, it just brings that... I, I think momentum shifts. Again, alluding to... Everyone's talking about looting, how good they are, and then they lose to a game where they should win, and they're a bit nervous now in, in the next game, and where Everton got beat by City, but we're all quite positive because we saw good things. So I do think it's a game. It's a hard. It's a. It's a. I I just believe it's a game we can't lose, and it's a must. It's a must win as well, really, because we're at home, recent form against Crystal Palace, and 
it then you've got Brighton away, West Ham at home, some difficult games coming up. I do believe, like the old David Moyes era now, it's not desperation of the crowd, getting points. I think we are quite relaxed at Goodison. And um, the XG, I, I don't know what the... Are we quite high on XG of not converting goals or whatever? Or... Uh, yeah, we, I think I saw the, the, the stat yesterday. It mentioned that we had um, the lowest conversion rate of chances or lowest number of shots on target, which yeah. is basically in terms of the XG. I think our XG, um, well, it, it should be in terms of chances created, it should be a lot higher, you know. And I think, I think the manager said it as well. We, we we do create chances and we we create good chances. So in terms of the conversion rate, the conversion rate is low. Yeah. In terms, but in terms of the quality of chance that we're actually wrestling creating, it, it's like that game. I, I I still to this day can't believe we lost to Man United. You know, mm. I think there was a period the ten minutes before we could have been four one up or four. I was come and I think we do create chances at home again, like Tottenham last week. I thought, I don't know, and set plays, but. I think I think we'll uh, I think it's a must win and I think we ha- we ha- we have to win really yeah we do. Um, how much do you think this is this is open open to you already? How much do you think that this appeal obviously the appeal's done now in regards to the ten point deduction and um, we're still waiting to hear the outcome of the appeal. How much do you think that this whole saga? And the, the the delay and the wait for for getting an answer on this actually plays into the thinking because I know with us as fans we, we are almost wait, waiting and you know we said before we started to record so they just just get on with it just get you know it's been now over a week since the appeal ended you know so just come just come out with it with the verdict now let's let's all try and move forward how much do you think th- this is playing into the into the minds of the the players a little because listen it could all look a whole lot rosier if we get anywhere from six plus points back before the Palace game. And it changes the mindset yet again. And I just get a feeling that everyone's just waiting now for this to sort of almost kickstart something again. I, I, I get a feeling, I get a feeling definitely that, you know, it's the first time after the game and before the game with Dice's presser as well, that Dice talked about it, didn't he, in terms of City's charges. And then after the game, Tarkovsky, I mean, I know, Mike, you put a tweet out, didn't you, straight after the game? You know, Tarkovsky was was actually talking about another decision going against Everton. You know what I mean? And, and almost alluding to the fact that obviously we're being hard done to. And look, it doesn't take a genius to work out. The, the players will have definitely been fishing around, wouldn't they, saying of how the hearing went, trying to get an idea of how it went and trying to get an idea of what the outcome would be. Obviously, we won't know that until obviously we get, we, we get, we get told, but I just think with with a few more voices coming out, and you know, we haven't heard Dice say very much about it other than the fact that they buried it and they're just going to get get on with it as if they're going to get nothing back. Now, of, whilst that's admir- admirable and, and and the way Dice has handled it, I would have liked him to have been a little bit more vocal on it. If I'm honest, maybe he couldn't have been, you know, able to say exactly what he thinks. Maybe for legal reasons as well, possibly. But you know, sometimes I think he's a bit too too honest when some you know sometimes I think he needs to come out and call it as it is particularly with things like refs and everything else. But I don't know. I, I just think, I, I personally think, I've said this from the very start, We I want all 10 back. And I, I've made that clear, not just out of spite, because it's just, just purely for the absolute, you know, shambles the way it's been handled by the Premier League from start to finish. So um, in answer to your point, Mike, um, I do think we'll, it has definitely affected Players and it would it would make a massive difference if you know if, if and you can clearly see it in the table. What would it be eleventh? 
12, you know what I mean? Yeah. 12, 12 exactly. So, and it's no coincidence, and I've said this before, uh, you know, Luton's run has coincided with us falling down in, in, you know, in and around the relegation zone. And, and that, that doesn't take a genius to work it out. You know, they, they've suddenly gone, hang on a minute, everyone's writing all three, all three of us off, whilst the other two look like they may be gone. You know, they're, they're thinking, look, we can stay in this league. Do, do, do you think as well it's at the manager thinking as well? Because it, a lot of fans around me, they love Patterson and things like that. And I think he picks like a Coleman and Young because he trusts them. Um, Dan Jume has had not much football, you know, prior to the last couple of weeks. But do you think if we had those 10 points anyway, he would have given more opportunities to these players, even like to Dobbin, where we've had them taken off us, where he has to have those players where he trusts to get those points. He can't really flex, you know, be flexible around the squad. But also the other points, I think we will get it all back because they made a big thing of that silk going to the Tottenham match. Now, I know reading to that what you'd want, but he was showing pictures and he was at the game and it, it would just be like on our face if we're doing all that and then nothing comes. I just think psychologically, they, I don't know, I, I just think, why would you do that? It just I looked into it and thought, they made a big thing of taking photos that he's at the game and announcing, oh, he's at the game and all over social media. Now, obviously, we don't know this, and obviously, he doesn't know this, but it must have gone well, and he must have really put a good fight for us for that to happen. I just look at it from the other foot, trying to look out the box, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, the, the the whole the talk around the appeal was Everton felt it went well, but they might have felt it the first year and went well, so make it out what you will. I think, obviously, getting a legal expert in like him, who, who's got, obviously, um, a great reputation, he's, he's very well thought of, you know, I don't think the club issued anything official in terms of him being there. He was on, I think, I think Mint, uh, obviously Mint Culture, you do a lot of, you know, great photography and things like that around Everton, around the area. I'd put something out with some great photographs of him and he seems happy and joking and all that. Could have been happy because he was getting a free meal and a couple of pints. You know, we just we just don't know. But I think, I think you know, it's probably just a thank you. This is the Everton and me. It was just a club saying, listen, the appeal finished Friday, come to Tottenham game Saturday, you know what I mean, as, as our guest. Um, but Everton fans latched on. Did we latched on early when we found out that he was going to be part of of the team who were were taking taking over the appeal? We latched on. Didn't we? In fact, you know, we, he's called Super Silk and things like that. And it's what Everton fans do. You know, we're, we're looking for a hero, aren't we? Um, I would love to sit here and think we're getting all ten points back. I just, I just don't know. I mean, when when you see, you know, the the lunatics at the at the asylum, almost, you know, the Premier League right and back to the um, to the parliamentary committee and saying that we told Everton two months prior to the first here that we were going for this this punch deduction and, and this is how much it was going to be. That just totally stinks to me. Absolutely. How that's even been allowed to happen is beyond me. But the way that they could, you know, they didn't even really answer, answer the questions. He didn't really, you know, just the small club thing, there was no no apology there for what, for what he said. Um, you know, the whole thing was just it, the the arrogance that it's met with. It just, I just think that they, they, they've got too much influence on these independent panels in terms of appointing them and who's on them and things like that. It, you know, it just sort of stinks to me. But I think seeing what gives me a, a bit of hope, and, and I think it changed every day, is that you hear all the reports and you see the reports now that, that, that other clubs are now kicking back and are happy with 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 the ringmaster. So the fact that he's he's now gone down a particular avenue and clubs are now starting to rebel and there's talk of legal action from the clubs outside of Everton, by the way, you know, it makes you think that maybe this is is is, is last hurrah. Maybe 
the appeal goes in our favour and it all comes undone for for Richard Masters, hopefully, uh, because the look for the Premier League since since this has all taken off and since the um, outcome of the first year and came about, the look for the Premier League has been appalling and that's down to us, down to our fans, our club, taking a stand and not and basically not accepting it and and not just saying okay because some club I've said this before on the podcast some clubs would have just gone okay yeah uh, we, we'll take that and moved on and we've refused to and that's why the Premier League are in the state that they're in and I'm happy about that and, and hopefully the wheels the wheels come off massively so but we need a regulator as soon as possible because this leads a set of rules that they're looking to bring in from a financial perspective as Lisa said earlier on it makes no difference whatsoever. It makes no difference at all in terms of getting the competitive nature of the Premier League back to where it once was, you know. And it's it, it's it's a good thing for us. I just hope that it goes our way. I really do. But maybe it'll happen this week, as I say. Maybe before we even get to Palace, we're looking at things with with different eyes and thinking, oh, we got six point seven points back, maybe more. We're we're away from things again. You know, it lifts everybody in the ground and things like that. Who knows? Um, but I do think it's it, it's been impacting impacting things. You know, over the, the last so many weeks or so, um, it's a difficult thing to ignore, really, isn't it? But we we are it's like it's, we are waiting as a fan base. We're, we're waiting. You know, we're, we're refreshing Twitter all the time as anything come out. Um, the players, I'm sure, like you say, it's trying to get some kind of handle on things, but. Um, let's you know the, the Palace game is 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 hugely important. Let's, let's get back to that and you know they're playing. Quickly, Mike, I, I heard I heard sorry I heard a great analogy. I don't know whether you guys heard it the other day about about Everton's plight um, and how we've been heavily penalised for it. And um, I forget who it was who said it, but they basically said like it's like a, it's like a speeding fine. You know, if you get caught doing maybe thirty five in a thirty, you're going to get three points, aren't you? You know what I mean? Because obviously you, you know you you you're exceeding the speed limit. With Everton, it feels like we've been caught doing maybe 35, 36 in a 30, and then we've been sent to prison for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, and, and, and I think that's a good analogy because obviously, you know, if you look at the actual cold numbers, we're six million quid a year just over in breach. Do you know what I mean? So we are just outside the guidelines. Now, I think every single Everton fan, the fact that Everton have been cooperative, the fact that they've admitted to the fact they were slightly outside of that. Uh, and, and it was agreed to be in roughly just six million pound a year out. You know, it, it's the severity of the punishment, and that speed and fine analogy is a good one. You know what I mean? We're just outside of it, and then it feels like we've had a license whipped off us, and we've been sent down for manslaughter. You know what I mean? So it's it's yeah, it, it's it's far too onerous. And like I said before, you know, a decent KC, and, and this guy's supposed to be one of the best in the country, would have would have pulled three maybe four or five absolute of their points apart, you know, their arguments apart. There's been there's so many holes in the way they've handled it. And the fact is, I mean, Pete, you put in our group the other day, Pete, about you know, the fact they wouldn't release the minutes of that meeting is an absolute disgrace in itself, isn't it? You know, they're a private company. We don't need to release the minutes. Well, if they, you know, there's obviously something to hide then because you should be releasing the minutes for transparency purposes, don't you think? There was no when, when the dust on this is settled, it, it's it's going to be fascinating. I think how this affects not not just the structure of of, of the Premier League and uh, you know, fi- financial fair play, but I, I think that this has been a massive act of you know egg in the face and self harm from from the the Premier League 
because it, it's been embarrassing. I think the the way that they've conducted themselves, and the fact that not only can they not justify the initial decisions they've been made, but then to be so cloak and dagger when they've been asked for transparent information, which should be, you know, be able to 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 be put out in the public domain at a moment's notice if it has been subject to you know a fair and transparent process and i think like you you were saying mike no no doubt as this uh, had an impact on the players and the staff and our season but the fact that we've not imploded and just plummeted through the table i i just think that's astounding i mean it's it, it, maybe it's too early to say this but i think the job sean dice has done is it's just absolutely phenomenal that the fact that we are where we are and hopefully we will get those points back that will lift us up to where we should be in the table. I I just think it's it's astounding because I, I can't think of any other club, you, you know, outside of, you know, the so-called Sky Six that have got the, the money and the big squads to be able to perform week out week in, week out at such a high level that will be able to do what we've done and, you know, stay competitive in this league under the restrictions and the circumstances and, and the pressures that have been on us. Um, and, and no one from the media, although there has been some some sympathy for the way we've been treated, no one from the media for me has, has acknowledged that. Now, how well that we've continued to play and perform, you know, under the, the context that's dominated this season. I think I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's either sink or swim at that particular point. Sorry, Lee. I'm just saying there, agreeing, agreeing with Pete. Sorry, Mike. The, the the mental fortitude of of the players is huge, isn't it? You know, it's it, you know they're human beings at the end of the day, and the fact that that's the first time we've heard a player come out and say something. It talk. It's obviously got to the players. There's no doubt about it. Like I said, the human beings. And that's the first time you'd say one of them has broken ranks when Tarkovsky was talking. You know, post match there, um, and and you know the, the words he used, and and you know obviously that. Dice is, like you said, an equal measure, and his team have been fantastic. You know the way they've dealt with it, but the mental fortitude they've shown to come out of that in a season when they've played well in so many games, you know, they've effectively won, you know, a lot more games than their points are showing on the table, and that's been taken away from you. You know, it's so hard, you know, not to let that affect you. It's, it's almost impossible to not let that affect you. And we had like that immediate bounce where we felt obviously a bit of injustice. And then since then, we've had a really tough run against some tough teams. Still, the players are still there and they're still fighting. They're still fighting when our, you know, our squad is way for thin. They're still fighting when we're still in the bottom three because we've got points, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions wrongly, you know, overly harsh in terms of what, what's, been, what's been put upon us. And then they're still there. The boys are still there and they're still, they're still fighting for each other. And that's why. I think the fans are getting behind them in the main, by the way. The fans are getting behind them because we see a team on the pitch there that are giving everything for the shirt. Yeah, I said that yesterday after the City game. You know, for me, it's obvious that, that these players do care. I think you, I think, I think we've seen that because other sides, like like you said, Pete, you know, would, would have imploded um, and they haven't done that and, they, and they've stood up. Okay, it's, it's not, it's sometimes far from perfect and it's not perfect, but you, you do see players that do care, and and that that's all that we can ask for, and and hopefully you know the resolution is is announced sooner rather than later, and we and we can move on. Uh, I know we've obviously got the second charge, but hopefully this changes things for that second charge because I'm sick and tired of thinking about it. I've got to be honest. Um, but 
back to the Palace game. Let's finish off with, with our predictions if we can. Phil, what are we saying? Um, I'm going to go 2-0, a goal in either half. Pete? Yeah, you've uh, you've nicked me prediction, Phil. I've gone 2 0 2 0 as well. Lee. Yeah, I, I think obviously if we play anywhere near the level that we can play to, um, we'll win. And and if they haven't got, like you said, the key players in uh Eze, Elise and Gay, then we've got a really good chance of, of winning. But like like Phil said before though, let's not get away from you know, we can't get complacent because we've got a winnable game suddenly coming up. You'd have put your mortgage pretty much on Luton's form recently, beating Sheffield United at home, wouldn't you? The fact is, they won there. And they won there, you know, fairly convincingly as well. So we can't, you know, we can't be typical Everton here, can we? And, and, and suddenly be, you know, like, like we going into Wigan in that quarter final, lost three 0 at home all those years ago. So we have to go in there. And I'm sure Dice will have, them, you know, have that in their minds. By the way, um, so I, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say two nil, two nil as well. I'm going to go with a 3-1. So by two goals, I'm going to say Everton are going to convert some chances for once and, and hopefully hopefully it's a fairly comfortable night as well. I haven't had a comfortable game for a little while, have we? Since that Burnley game, since we won that Burnley game, which was you know pretty straightforward away victory, it's been it's been a sicky time. But I think we can win the game. As I say, I just pray that we have some positive news in the Instagram as well. So it's a really sort of, you know, lifting and lift the mood at, at a... At Goodison Park. Uh, but before we go, just a little reminder that our fifth birthday competition has been launched on, on Twitter um, to win five five different shirts. Fifth birthday, five different shirts. Home away third and a couple of sailing shirts thrown in as well. Can't be bad, can it? Uh, lucky lucky uh, they got a sail on kickback. That's all that I'm saying. Um, but we did turn five in, in, in well, a few days' time. I think it was the 16th of Feb. 2019 was our first our first podcast. So those who've been with us from the start, we massively appreciate it. And those who come on board in recent times, obviously we appreciate yourselves as well because it wouldn't be possible without you all listening. Um, and hopefully you, you do you do enjoy the the weekly the weekly content that we do that we do put out. Um, so make sure you keep your eye out for that. The winner will be announced Friday. I think six o'clock is when the competition closes. Um, so that's part of our. Our promise of doing a monthly competition. We've actually done three so far this year, so we're, we're ahead of the game already. But every month there will be a competition um, to give to give it back to yourselves. So that's all for this week, Phil. Great to speak to you once again. Thanks for jumping on. Cheers, lads. No, it's always a pleasure. Love coming on. Thank you. And I say that's us for this week. We'll be back. Well, it's a bit tricky, isn't it? Because obviously Monday night football, but we'll throw a podcast out there post Crystal Palace at some point during uh, that particular week. Fingers crossed for a positive week in the world of Everton as well. Um, so we will catch you next time. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Podcast Network.